Thank you for being with us. This is first Sunday of January, first Sunday of 2021. And I know that probably a lot of you are glad to say goodbye to 2020. I think one of my favorite memes, if you will, uh, the last that I saw the last couple months is that this is the first time in history we've, we have been able to say that 2020 is hindsight, you know, hindsight's 2020. And so there we are. And uh, I have a lot of thoughts. I want to, again, welcome you. Those of you that are watching online, thank you for joining us, giving us some time this morning. We believe that God is going to do some things and say some things and, and hopefully stir some things in our heart this morning because uh, I tell you, I have, a, I have a real expectancy in my heart for today. Uh, there is a weight, a good weight that I don't, I take what I do very, very seriously when it comes to a Sunday morning and the time that you give me to share with you and to talk with you and um, there's some things that I want to say and make sure that I say them right and this is not necessarily anything that is new uh, to most of you, but uh, I am going to present in a way that's a little bit different than I normally do. I'm going to stick closer to my notes because they will be the reins that will help me <laughs> to stay focused and to make sure that I stay on track. I've got several things that I want to cover. And I want to, first of all, just ask you to or remind you, I know that there's a lot of uh, <clears throat> hope and expectancy. I, 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 Pastor Tim shared this with me years ago, uh, that the Greek god Janus, who the month of January is named for, uh, that Greek god has two faces. One looks forward and one looks back. And many times in this season, during this part of, of the year, we t have a tendency to be sort of like that god. We are looking back at you know, the year that was passed, the things that we liked, that didn't like, the things that we thought we were going to do, the things that we maybe fell short of, but we're also looking forward during this season as to what perhaps we set goals, we might, you know, do different things, whatever it is, and I, I, I want to warn you about something, and, and I would call it a false hope, because uh, I have heard a lot and read a lot and seen a lot that people are, are and I think part of it is just in jest, it's a little bit funny, uh, of, you know, we're done with 2020, we, we don't ever want to face it, you know, all of those different things, and, and um, <clears throat> I think that sometimes we can set ourselves up for failure. On March 11th, this world, this, this country changed. The world itself had already been going down the path before we ever uh, experienced many of the things that we experienced with COVID and all the different things like that. But on March 11th, this world or our country changed dramatically, and, and things that we never considered, uh, uh, they changed. And, and we began doing things that we never thought we would ever do in our lifetime. We, we just, uh, you know, the idea of social distancing, the idea of masks, the idea of restaurants being closed, churches being closed, bars. Bars closed? What? I mean, really? I mean, that's serious. You got churches and bars closed. That's like, you know, there's nowhere to go after that. And so, <laughs> and so uh, that happened, quite literally, that happened in a few days. We went from March 11th talking about we might have to adjust some things that we do on a Sunday morning to us making a statement. We are going to have church to us making another statement. Scratch that. We're not having church. And we, like everybody else, went into two weeks to flatten the curve, which we're now in month eight or nine or whatever it is. And, 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 and so things changed very dramatically and very quickly, but things are not going to change back as dramatically or as quickly. And so if you are entering into 2021 hoping that things are going to get back to normal and things are going to be like they used to be, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you can pretty much guess and rest assured that that's not going to be the case. There are some things that are never going to come back. There are ways of life that will never, ever, ever come back. 
ever. And we, boy, it got quiet in here all of a sudden. And we need to be aware of that. Do not settle for a false hope that someday, sometime, some, some way, everything is going to be like it used to be, which is according to our preference. And I think this is time for us to prayerfully consider what has changed. I know that this church, this church has changed, changed dramatically. Some of you are doing things you said you would never do. Some of you are giving online after saying, I'll never do that. Now, we thank you for that. We appreciate that. Some of you have learned that you can actually, you know, learn things, receive things from God over the internet through preaching and teaching, all of those things. Those are all good things. I think we've also learned that being together is awesome. I mean, some, amen. Thank you for that one. <laughs> some of you literally cried when you were able to come back to church. And some of you that were crying to come back to church were the ones that used to cry because your mom made you go to church. So there are things that have changed dramatically and have changed drastically. How we respond to each other has changed. Whether we realize it or not, there's been dramatic shift and change in how we respond to each other, how we respond to social gatherings and social settings, and what do we say, and what do we do, and there's a lot of contentiousness, there's a lot of division, there is a lot of, uh, just a lot of angst on the inside of people that leads to anxiety, that leads to out breaks, if you will, of a lot of different things. And so I want to share some things with you that, that really uh, are, are things that, that, I said this a few months ago, actually several months ago, the experts agree. I remember me saying that. We live in a day that the experts agree. Whatever position that it is that you hold, you will find experts to agree with you. And I don't say this to shame anybody, to try to condemn anything or any position, it is a, an awareness that I want you to have that the experts agree. We live in a day that you will find an expert for any position that you want to hold. And it reminds me of something that was happening in the book of, of Judges. And uh, four times in the book of Judges, we read these words in Judges chapter 17 and verse 6. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. There was a day, and the book of Judges records four different times that this verse is given. The very last verse of the book of Judges is this one, that there was a day there was no king. There was no authority. There was no final word. There was no governmental structure. And because of that, people did what was right in their own eyes. People did what, what, what they felt was the right thing to do. What they saw was the right thing to do. And because the people operated in that way without a final authority, without that structure, there were a lot of things that was the result of their ways. Chaos and confusion, enemies coming in and enemies evading, they, invading, and they, they ended up setting up, they're called judges, people that were rulers, and they would break into tribes and each tribe would have a judge or a ruler, and, and they would do things the way that they thought that it should be done. And I want you to understand this morning, we live in that day as well. We live in a day that there is no king, there is no authority, and structure is being questioned. And as a result, we as Americans and we as human beings have a tendency to drift to do things that are right in our own eyes. We have a lot of different tribes. And I'm going to mention a couple tribes, not good, bad, indifferent. They're just there. We have, <laughs> and we have environmental tribes. 
We have tribes that are convinced that we're going to destroy this planet. We have tribes that are convinced that, that, and experts that tell us that a plastic straw will end the world. We have people that are opposed to that, that don't believe that plastic straws are going. We have tribes of environmentalists. We have tribes of data and science. Data and science are the king, but data and science don't agree. So whatever position you want to hold, whatever is right in your eye is going to be the data and the science that you believe. And some of the same people that are asking us to believe the science about one thing are asking us to disbelieve science when it comes to gender. How can that be? Science is king, except for here. We have tribes of political parties. The experts agree that one party is going to kill the other party. And experts also agree that the other party will kill the other party. And if you follow one tribe or you follow the other tribe, then you're wrong, you're out. We live in a day. And, and, and I know, I know that <laughs> I haven't even got to the good part yet. <laughs> we live in a day that our idea and our understanding of what is right, what is the, what, what, what is the path, what is the, there's chaos and there's confusion and there's angst and there's fear. There's all kinds of different things that are happening to us individually and us collectively. And we've got to, we, we have to be discerning. We have to be listening. We have to be close to the heart of God. The apostle Paul wrote at one time, he said, man, there's many voices that have gone out into the world. There's many voices, but they're not without significance. And there are a lot of voices that are telling you what to do. A lot of voices that are telling you what to believe. A lot of voices that are telling you how you are supposed to act and how you are supposed, supposed to respond. There are a lot of voice that are say, voices that are saying, this is the way, that is the way, don't do this. And I think that some of you need to ask the question, and I'm asking you the question, can we tell the difference between what are the true voices and what's just a bunch of noise? Are we following the true voices or are we following the crowd because it's the loudest voice that seems to be in the room? Social media has inflamed a lot of this sentiment. It has inflamed a, a lot of these ideas. Be cautious and careful what you allow in here. I told you before that, that you need to approach everything on social media as it is untrue. And I do not care if it's somebody that you agree with politically or, or spiritually or socially. You have to believe and start with that's not true. You will do yourself a favor. Quit, I'm sorry, reposting stuff sharing stuff and then later having to retract what you posted. Stupid. That's just my opinion. But I'm the expert right now. <laughs> and I agree with me. <laughs> Praise God. Modern marketers have gone so far as to say that attention is the new currency. If we can get somebody's attention, that's why you get a notification on your phone that somebody tagged you in Facebook or somebody mentioned you or somebody liked a comment because what do we want to do? We want to pull out our phone and we want to look at it. Oh, what did they say about me? And then now they have your attention and because they have your attention, you're going to scroll for a little while and then those little ads are going to pop up. It's like, man, I was just at a furniture store. Now all of a sudden my Facebook feed is full of furniture. How do they know? I don't get it. It's magic. It must be the will of God. 
The, this is a day that we live in, church, and I want to give you some things to help you. Because a tendency is for us to fall into that category, to drift, I should say, into that category that because there's no central authority, no recognized authority, or the authority that I recognize different than the authority you recognize in the sake of just getting along and not having an argument, not having a fight about it, we're just going to zip the lip and not say anything at all. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy, a young minister who was in a time of chaos and pressure and confusion. It says, for this reason, I, su- I also suffer many things. Paul was writing this from prison. He had been serving God faithfully, and yet he found himself in prison. They were threatening to kill him while he was in prison. They had beaten him and did all. You think your 2020 was bad? The apostle Paul is right here. He said, man, they're threatening to kill me. They're threatening to do all of these other things. And then he says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. I am not going to draw back. I am not going to retreat. Because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. And the key point that I want you to see this morning, to hear this morning, to reverberate in your soul this morning, is that I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able. I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that my God is able. I want that to be so rooted in you, so grounded in you, so so prevalent and alive in your understanding that when the chaos of this life and the confusion of this life resounds around you, That there will be something on the inside. He says, ha, I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded that he's able. I know that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, and since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we speak. I said to you earlier, and I believe this, it is so important. In fact, let me just say it this way. What you believe will come out of your mouth. Jesus himself said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. You can always tell where somebody is by the words that they say. We have the same spirit of faith, therefore we speak. What we believe should come out of our mouth. What we believe should should be spoken. I want to make a statement to you this morning. One that I'm going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about. The conclusion that you arrive at, and I've said this in a lot of different ways, that a conclu- one person said a conclusion is, is really the place you just got tired of thinking. <laughs> but the conclusion that we arrive at will either be the greatest ads- asset in your life or the greatest hindrance in your life. The conclusion that your mind, and your mind is designed to arrive at a conclusion. Your mind is designed to bring you to a place, connecting the dots of experience and education and all the other things, to connect the dots to a place that you arrive at a conclusion, a settled place. Your mind wants you to do that. It will help you get there. But the conclusion that you arrive at will either be a great asset in your life or it's going to be a great liability in your life. Sometimes the conclusion that you arrive at becomes a stronghold that the Apostle Paul talked about. A stronghold that you can't get beyond. A stronghold that you can't get past. A stronghold might be when we sang the song, I am who you say I am. Instead, there's a reel of old pictures and old statements and old things that are going uh, on in your thinking and in your mind that would try to disprove the very fact of what God said about you. 
because of life experience, because of trauma, because of what other people have said. You'll always believe what you say more than you will believe what anybody else says. And so this statement, the conclusion that you arrive at is often based in the belief that you start with. Does that make sense to you this morning? You see, I can't, I can't arrive at a conclusion, unless I have outside help, I can't arrive at a conclusion that is based differently than where I started from. There are root beliefs that we all have. There are root beliefs. There are, there are core beliefs that we all have. The greatest challenge of Christianity, I've said this to you many, many times, is that the greatest challenge is that bringing about true heart change, changing the way we think or the way that we respond, that we haven't just adorned our life with Christianity, that we haven't just clicked like on the Jesus button and we sort of accessorized our life with faith, we've accessorized our life with Jesus, but that's it. We run to him and turn to him when we have some problems, but otherwise we just sort of drift to our own conclusions. And so the conclusion that we arrive at in life is often based on the belief and the faith that we start with. So I want to give you something this morning as a starting place. We believe and therefore we speak. And, and several years ago, and I, I'm not this kind of person, but several years ago, I wrote this out. And several years ago, I, I, I tried to distill down to the very essence, what is it that I believe? What is it that I believe? What is it that motivates my life? And I want to give you these statements once again. This is a starting point that I have, and I would encourage every, if you want your 21, your 2020, your 2021 to be different than 2020, which is going to be hard to not have it different, but if you want it to be different, this is the place that I preach from. This is the place I pray from. This is the place I desire from. I want you to believe this very first thing. God's word is true. This is a decision that I make, and I know we're in church, the amen, that's right, yes, God's word's true, but is God's word true to you? How would your life change if, change if you approached every single one of these great and precious promises as if it was true? What if you would flip open the pages of this book and, and, and say over your life, you know what? I, I, I don't see it. I don't feel it. But I believe this is what's true in spite of what the coach said about me, in spite, in spite of, of what anybody else said about me. I believe this is true. It'll change your life. It will change your life. And because I believe that this word is true, there's a confidence in my life. It gives me a confidence and a boldness that I have because I believe that Psalm 119 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. God's word is settled. It is not going to change. It will not change for you. It will not change for your grandma. It will not change for a political party. It will not change. It is unchangeable. That does not mean it is boring. It does not mean it is lifeless. It means it will not change. And that I have to reprioritize my life and my thinking to this that will not change. Otherwise, I will always be in shifting sand and raging seas. And I will be up one minute and I will be down the next minute. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. This book was written over the span of 1,500 years from three different countries in different languages by different authors. And yet every one of these promises are yea and amen. There are prophetic words and utterances that were spoken that have come to pass. 
People who were wise in education and people who had very little education. And yet the Spirit of God inspired them to write, inspired them to speak. And it changed people and it changed continents and it changed nations. This word is alive. And Paul references this faith of Abraham, this, this faith that we, are have, that, that we are to have. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 17, it says, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God made a promise to Abraham. God who gives life to the dead. And notice what God does. He calls those things which do not exist as if they do. You need to know that about your God. God is able to take that which is nothing, does not exist, and he can create out of that nothingness something beautiful and powerful. He calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that when he became the father, so that he became the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall your descendants be. It is so important, this little nuance that's here in our lives. God, this great God who is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we ask or think. He is able to take those things that be not and create from the not something that is based on his promise. Abraham, all the experts agreed. God made a promise to Abraham that seemed impossible to keep. Abraham, I know you're a thousand, you know, he's a hundred years old. I know, well, he's about 75 years old at the time he made the promise. His wife was old as well. They were not, they'd never had a child before. And God said, I'm going to take your seed, your offspring, and I'm going to fill the earth with them. And, and, the, and the expert said, that ain't happening. Do you not realize, God? Do you not realize, Abraham and Sarah, that it is impossible for you to have children? You've not had any in 75 years. You're not going to have any. This is impossible. All the experts agreed. But this God, who is able to take that which does not exist, created something from that. And Abraham had only the thing that you and I have. Please don't ever believe the lie that this is not enough. Because Abraham's faith was not based on who he was. Not even really based on who God is. Abraham's faith was based on what God said. And can I tell you this morning, you have the same thing. What's your faith in? Is your faith in your past? Is your faith in, in what I say? Man, you got to develop your faith. <laughs> and you need to come to a place that you are persuaded that what God said, he is able also to perform. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 21, this is what, what, what happened in Abraham's life is what I'm preaching for this morning. And being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was able also to perform. He was persuaded. He came through a process of persuasion to a settled conclusion. For me personally, because I know that God's word is true, there's a stability in my life. There's a confidence that is in my life that is beyond me. There's a peace in my soulish realm, my mind and my will and my emotions. It is far beyond what this world can give, this peace that comes from God's word. Because I know that God's word is true, it has changed my life. I believe what the apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation and old things have passed away. I believe that more than what my life and my testimony has been up until this day. So because I believe that God's word is true, there's a confidence in my life that causes me to boldly say, it's in him that I have believed. And I stand. 
Because I believe that God is a good God, I have peace. You need to know this. You need to believe this. You need to understand this because some of your traditions and some of your upbringings, again, the conclusion, that you, the conclusion that you arrive at is based on what? It is based on the belief that you go into it with. And if you believe that God is going to bring all kinds of pain and misery into your life to, to teach you something, the conclusion that you arrive at will be based on that belief. And maybe that belief came from your grandparents, or maybe it came from somebody else. Maybe it came from you heard somebody and it sounded really good. Well, God's just trying to teach you something. No, he's not. God does not use sickness and disease and poverty and pain to teach you. Now, you might have been in sickness or disease or in pain or in poverty, and you learned something. But chances are you learned something because you, gave, you became desperate enough to go to the source. But the Bible is clear. Number one, that God didn't send pain, sickness, and disease to teach you. He sent the Holy Spirit to guide you and to comfort you and to teach you and to instruct you. You do not need sickness and disease or pain and poverty to teach you something. All that you really need is this and the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And what the anointing is the Holy Spirit coming upon it. It is an empowerment to act. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And notice what Jesus did after God touched him. He went about doing good and healing all. Jesus went about reflecting the character of his heavenly father, God. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Notice, notice very simply that God called healing good and the oppression, the sickness, the disease, he called that bad. James says that every good gift, every perfect gift, it comes down from above from the father of lights. God is a good God. And because God is a good God, because God loves us, because God is a, is a good God that brings peace into my life, I know that he's not going to harm me. I know that he's not against me. I know that he is, is, is for me. Because I know that God is good and I know that this word is true. I also know that the devil's a liar. I also know that the devil is not good. I know healing is good and it comes from God. And I know that sickness and disease is not good and it does not come from God. It is oppression that comes from the enemy and I must resist it and I must stand against it. And so I know that God's word is true and that brings confidence. I know that God is good. And because I know that God is good, I have peace in my life. I also know that God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. And because I know that God is all-powerful, I am not going to fear. If God can't sustain me, if God can't keep me, then nobody can. And because I know that God is all-powerful, this God who shut the mouths of lions, this God who caused somebody to pray and the sun stood still, this God that caused and inspired somebody to hit a rock and water flowed out of a rock, this God that liberated people and nations and brought healing and life from death, this God is able, this God is big enough. And because my God is big enough, I am not going to be afraid. Psalm 27, 1 says, the Lord is my light and he is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Church, I want you to be persuaded about this. I want you to know this. I want you to understand this, that God is the strength of your life, not anything else. And because God is the strength of your life, because God is the source of, of, of his power and of his strength, you do not need to fear. 
at all. What anybody can do to you. This will settle you. This will calm you. This will help you to sleep better in your life. All of the tribes are telling us to be afraid of something. If, if, if attention is a currency, then fear is an ATM. Fear is a bank. And every tribe is trying to motivate you, trying to influence you, trying to inspire you through fear. Isaiah 43 says, but now says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he, he formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I've redeemed you. That means I've purchased you. You're my property. Do not be afraid because I have a, a holy claim on you and your life. You're mine. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and no flame shall scorch you. God is a God of power. I think, well, that's great. God's a God of power. But, but what does that mean for me? <laughs> Isaiah chapter 40 verse 29 says, this is what God does with his power. He gives power to the weak. Let me say that again. God gives power to the weak. If you are entering 21 feeling weak, God says, I want to give you power. I want to give you my strength. I want to give you my ability. I want you to live this year with my life, with my strength, and with my power. He gives power to the weak, and those who have no might, he increases strength. But what do we do? We do the opposite. Oh, man, I'm just so tired. I'm just so busy. I'm just so confused. I just don't know. I'm just this. I'm just that. You will always believe what you say more than you believe what anyone else says. You need to let your mouth be filled with God's word, and you need to say, God, you're the strength of my life. And I don't know. I may not know what's going on, but I know uh, that on the inside, you're going to enlighten me, and you're going to help me. Praise God. So because I know that God's word is true, I have confidence in my life. And because I know that God is good, that brings peace into my mind and to my soul. And because I know that God is all-powerful, I refuse to be afraid. And, and this I believe, this I know, this I understand, that God is love. And because I know and because I have chosen, made the decision to believe that God first and foremost is love, there is a, con there's a security in my life that I have because I know that I am his and I know that he is mine and I know that he has set his love and his attention and his affection upon me. And because I know that he loves me, I know that he, he, he has my best interest in, in his heart. I know that he cares about me. If he, if he understands and he sees the sparrow fall and he's counted the hair on my head, that I know, that, that, that I know, I know, that 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 I know that he cares about me. I believe this. I believe this. 1 John 4, 16. And this is our problem. <laughs> we have known and believed. Most people do not know how head over heels in love with them God is. The conclusion you arrive at is based on on the faith, that you, the belief that you go into it with. Again, if you've let life devalue you, if you have let the words of other people devalue you, if you have let the circumstances of life convince you that you are a piece of garbage, that you don't measure up, that you're not good enough, and a lot of preaching in churches revolves around that, telling you all the stuff you already know, you're no good. The faith that you enter into the test and trial or the belief that you enter into the test, the trial, the, 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 the confusion, 
your conclusion is going to be based on that belief. But I want to give you a different belief this morning, and that is that God loves you. And that's what John was trying to get over to his readers. We have known and believed, and our problem is, most of our problems start right here, we do not know, and we certainly don't believe. We do not know, and we do not believe. And yet here he is saying, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. He doesn't choose to love. It is his nature. It is his character. One of the greatest things that has ever helped me in this is understanding that God's nature and his character is love. He is living, breathing, liquid love. That is his first default, if you will, towards you and me. It is to love us. You need to understand that while human love is based on the recipient Jesse up here, man, he, he does something good. Man, Jesse, I just love you. Thank you so much. And then Jesse does something stupid. We'd never do that, but, but he does something stupid. Jesse, man, you're a, ah, I can't stand that guy. What a cheapers. Because we base our love on the character of the person receiving love. We measure love whether or not they have earned it, whether or not we like them, whether or not they agree with our tribe or not. But God's love is different. God's love is based on his character. God's love for you is based on who he is, not who you are. Whew, that was really good, Pastor Brian. God's love for you is based on who he is, not who you are. That should make us all shout and jump and say, glory to God. I've known and believed that the love that God has for me, that God is love. God is love. And, and, and our tendency is because of past training and instruction or because of this adversary, the devil, that goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Our default is, yeah, but what about? Let me tell you a what about. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When there was nothing good about you, everything was unlovely about you, when... <laughs> When you were beyond hope and without God in this world, Jesus became the sacrifice because of God's love for you. Start there. Before you ever messed up, God decided I was going to love you. Again, his love's not based on you. His love is based on him. Praise God. Praise God. So because I know that God's word is true, I have confidence because I believe that God is good. I have peace because I know that God is all-powerful. I am not going to be afraid. And because I know that God loves me, there's a security in my life. And because I know, this is so good, because I know that there's an empty tomb, I've got victory. I do not pray and live for victory. I'm not praying, God, give me the victory. I need to train my thinking that I am praying from a place of victory. I'm living my life from a place of victory. Because there's an empty tomb and Jesus triumphed over death, over hell, and over the grave. And then he turned around and he gave me that victory. Woo! There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a power in my life because of that. 1 Corinthians 15 says, how we thank God for all of this. It is he who makes us victorious through Jesus Christ our Lord. My victory is not defined in me. It is defined by what Jesus did for me and how I respond to that. Because Jesus 
died on a cross and because he rose from the dead and this tomb is now empty and we, Christianity is the only religion that, that can point to an empty tomb that was carved out of a rock that says that our Savior, he was there but he's not there anymore and he is the one in the book of Revelation that he says, I am he that was dead but I'm alive and I hold the keys of, of death, hell and the grave. Man, he triumphed over those things. Again, because the tomb is empty, hear this church, I know that the devil is defeated. Why are we trying to defeat a foe that's already been defeated? Why are we cowering in fear? Many times because we don't recognize his voice because his voice sounds all too familiar. Colossians 2.15, this is from the message. It says he stripped off all of the spiritual, he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham or fake authority at the cross and he marched them naked through the streets. He made a show of them openly. This was a custom in the ancient world that if you defeated a king, you defeated an army, you would strip them through the, the you'd strip them and you'd march them through the streets and people would be shame, shame, shame. And they'd laugh at them. I can't think of anything that would be more humiliating than that. And yet that's exactly what God did to the enemy. The enemy that we think is all powerful, God stripped him of any authority, any power that he had. So you need to laugh at this character. He's not all powerful. Because the tomb is empty, I know that I have authority. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18 says, I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. And God turns, gives us those keys. And he said, I've given, behold, I've given you authority. That's what he told the disciples. I've given you authority to go into all the world. Preach the gospel. What are we doing with that authority? What are we doing with the keys? Keys represent authority. They also represent responsibility. If you have a key for this building, there's authority for you to come and go in this building, but there's also a responsibility. Don't leave the door unlocked after you leave. Turn the alarm on. Turn the alarm off. All of those, there's a responsibility that is signified by the keys that you have. And God has chosen to give you and me, you and I, keys, and he wants us to use those keys keys. Because Jesus rose triumphantly from the dead, I know that I am an overcomer. Do you? Do you know that you've overcome? Let me read 1 John chapter 5. Every child of God, how many of you are children of God? You need to, you need to write this one down. You need to hold on to it. In fact, we have notes. You should take this and you should just live with this for the next several weeks. This whole thing. Verse 4. Every child of God, every child of God, every child of God defeats this evil world. You are not to be overcome by this world, not because of you, but because of God. Every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through what? Our faith. We achieve victory the same way that Abraham received the promise. He believed according to that which was spoken. You and I, simple faith is to believe according to that which is spoken. It's why I start with God and his word. I made a decision to stake my claim, to stake my life, to stake my future, to stake everything right here. God, <laughs> I shared with the worship team earlier. I think I, I don't know if I said it. I know I said it many times here. But there's a point in my life where I just said, God, you're smarter than I am and you know me better than I know myself. I know what I think. I know what other people have said and I know what I feel. And what I think and what others have said and what I feel, they're contrary to what you said. 
when God dealt with my heart and our lives about becoming a pastor, I gave God a whole laundry list of reasons why he was wrong. I did. You know what? I didn't surprise God with any single one of them. <laughs> he knew exactly. You know what God's response was? Don't worry about what you don't know. Trust me for what you do know, and I'll make it more. And that was enough. But I had to look at myself differently. I had to believe what God said about me more than I believed what I felt about me, what other people have said about me, and what my past experiences have been. That's a conclusion. It's a, dis it's a decision that you, have to, that you have to come to in your life. I've said this many times. If you don't wrestle, if there aren't times that you wrestle with things that God might be saying to you or what you hear, if you don't wrestle with those things, then there might be a problem in your life. Because you're not taking these things seriously enough. 1 John 5, 4, again, every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The only ones who can overcome this world are those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then you are already declared to be an overcomer. Not the overcome, an overcomer. And lastly, because I believe that Jesus is coming again, I have a great hope. I have a hope in my life that settles me and that calms me. I have a hope, not a natural human hope, like, oh, I hope that happens, I hope this. It is a confident and favorable expectation that, that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what happens to me, no matter what happens in any way, shape, or form, I have a home secure in heaven. That this world, this life is not all that there is. That there is more still yet to come. If you're a follower of Christ, then this life is as bad as it will ever get. It only gets better from here. But if you're not a follower of Christ, then this world is as good as it will ever get and it's only going to get worse from here. Your decision, your will, your choice, so powerful, so powerful in our lives. I have a hope. I have a hope. Because I know the one that holds my future. And I've committed my life and my eternity to him. And I know that he is able. He is able. He is able. And so again, the conclusion that you arrive at, the conclusion, the settled place that you arrive at in your thinking is often the place, it's often based in the faith or the belief that you enter into it in. And so... I've given you six things this morning to start 2021 with. And, and in all reality, some of you may think, this is probably for sure the third time, maybe the fourth time that I've presented this to this congregation. I, pre I preached it one time, and I think a year or two later I preached it. So I said, man, that was so good. I've never heard anything like that. I said, yeah, you did. <laughs> Might have been two years ago, but you heard it. <laughs> You know, I, I want to close with this thought. These six things that I've given to you, would you put them up, please? Because I know that God's word is true, I have confidence. Because I know that God is good, I have, go ahead and just put them all up there. Because I know that God is all-powerful, I'm not going to be afraid. And because God loves me, I have security. I'm so thankful for that. Because there's an empty tomb, I have victory. Because Jesus is coming again, I have a, I have a supernatural hope. 
abiding hope. But here's what I also know. Not everybody knows this. Not everybody understands this. Not everybody has a victory and a hope and a security that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to live in every day. And it is to that end that we, this church, lives. It is to help people know that God is so good, that God is so rich in mercy, so rich in love, so great in his power, that there's not anything at all that he cannot do. And that God is willing to keep his promise even when it seems like his promises are impossible to keep because his promises are yea and they are amen. They are yes, absolutely, for his children. The question is, do I believe that? The question is, am I willing to lay aside my past experiences? The past words that people have spoken over me. The past impressions that have left such a mark in my thinking or in my life? Am I willing to turn from those things and toward, turn towards this God of love and this God of life? And I'm not talking to unbelievers. I'm talking to believers. You're not so special and you are not so powerful that God's word cannot change your circumstances. There's a humility that you need to arrive at. And when you say that God is not able because, when you say that God can't because, what you're now saying is that, God, I know you said this, but I'm different. I'm special. You're not that powerful. In the next couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about a couple of things that, that derail this in our life. Why don't we have that confidence? Some of us, we've never been told, but. But why don't we live with that? Why don't, we, why don't we abide in that understanding? And sometimes the reality of life, circumstance and difficulty of life is so heavy and makes such an impact that it knocks us from our faith and from our believing. <laughs> I promise this is the last one. I've said to you many times, the easiest time to go on a diet is right after you've eaten at a buffet. Amen? Or after Christmas and New Year. Anybody else resemble that remark? I was within seven pounds of the weight that I said I would never go over again in my life. <laughs> and the easiest time to believe these things, the easiest time to receive these things is right after you've been in church. We've had a good time of worship, spirit and presence of God among other believers. Yes, amen. But what about tomorrow? What about Tuesday? What about Wednesday? It's only by rehearsing these things, by going over these things. I would encourage you, again, these notes are available online. I, there are probably some copies out in the, uh, in the entry area. And, and I would encourage you, take these six things, make them a part of your life because it'll change your life. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you today. Lord, I want our declaration of faith to be we believe these things. This, I believe. In spite of what I feel, in spite of what I think, in spite of what somebody else says, this is what I believe. Because I'm standing on these exceeding great and precious promises, I'm not going to be moved. Thank you, Lord Jesus. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you have never come to a position, a place of faith in Christ, or maybe you're watching online and and. 
and, and you've heard some things today that have challenged you where your, your believing is. And maybe it's answered some questions. Maybe it's brought up some other questions. But however you are hearing this message today, if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you would like to, that is the starting point. It is surrendering your, your life to Christ. If that is you today, would you just lift your hand up really high? I want to lead you in a very simple and quick prayer. If you're online, there are people that are helping, that are available to help you to pray. Just click the little button that's there. Anyone else say, say Pastor Brian, I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else this morning? Would you all pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. I believe you died for me, that you love me. And I thank you today that you forgive me, that you put your life in me. I believe you died for me and that you're alive. I receive you today as my Savior and my Lord. Heavenly Father, for these that have prayed this prayer for the first time, I thank you that you're beginning something in them. We believe that. You're beginning something in them that you said you would finish. And so, Father, we release that power. We release that work in their lives and in all of our lives because we are a work in progress. And so, Father, I thank you for all those things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.